Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Snowcast. I'm John Snow, and this week's guest is Richard Curtis. Richard is an award-winning writer and director who started out doing comedy sketches with Rowan Atkinson. His enormous successes included Blackadder, The Vicar of Dibley, Four Weddings, and Notting Hill. And though busy enough keeping us entertained, Richard spends a great deal of time trying to change the world. He described the very first Red Nose Day back in 1988 as chaotic. But 30 million people tuned in and helped raise 15 million pounds for comic relief. Richard campaigns on many issues and launched Make My Money Matter to raise awareness that our money is a major contributor to and solution to the climate crisis. I spoke to Richard on the day he launched a new film to raise awareness of the relationship between oil companies and high street banks. His message, help break them up. Let's find out more. Richard Curtis is a delight, and I'm very grateful to you for agreeing to come and appear on Snowcast. Oh, I'm very, very pleased to be here in your funky venue in <laughs> King's Cross. You're associated with quintessentially English films and television, but you consider yourself global rather than English, and your charity work has a very global focus from the start. How do you explain that? Is it partly because you yourself are born abroad? I think that is part of it. My dad came from Czechoslovakia, went to Australia. I was born in New Zealand. My mum's Australian as well. And then when I was four, we moved to the Philippines, very aware there of poverty as I drove to school, you know, tens of thousands of people living in corrugated iron houses. And I didn't get here to the UK, didn't start living here till I was 10. And I arrived with an American accent. So I've never really understood the sort of strong patriotism that lots of other people have. But what you did develop is a, an awareness of wealth and poverty. Yeah, I think I've always had that. My dad's instincts were quite left-wing at the start. He grew more conservative as he grew older. But yeah, I've got a strong sense somewhere of justice. Always did. I just couldn't understand even when I was at school. You know, the boys at my boarding school, when they used to have charity 
appeals. You know, they used to put buttons in the thing so they didn't have to give any money. And these were the same people who were spending so much money on their own education and on chips and sausages every lunchtime. So I've, I've yeah, I've always found greed illogical. What was your dad doing that landed you in the Philippines? Uh, he worked for Unilever. Uh-huh. A company whose behavior I'm now very proud because they're a very good company in terms of sustainability. Yeah, he worked for the Philippine Refining Company. And then we, we moved to Sweden where I didn't really learn uh, that much, even though I'm very envious of many of the Nordic countries and their implied sense of justice. Do you think in that Philippine childhood you had a sort of inkling, a kind of awareness that there were very poor people in the world? and that that possibly lit a little ember that was going to grow into something rather large? I think it did. I mean, oddly enough, when I think back, what's at the root of my choice to lead this split life between making dodgy entertainment and trying to do good deeds? I, Come I'm, on, the it's, thing a deli- I most, it's a delicious combination. The thing I most remember <laughs> is I think it was Christmas 1968. There was a famine in Biafra, mm-hmm. and my mum got us around a table and said... We're going to cancel Christmas this year. She said, I just can't bear the images that we're seeing. So let's just have beans on toast on Christmas Day. Let's take all the money that we were going to spend on presents and give it to the Biafra appeal. And, of course, I mean, it was the best Christmas we ever had because I used to hate Christmas because Christmas lunch came right in the middle of Christmas Top of the Pops. But this time we were allowed to eat in front of the telly. But I think that had an effect on me. And then, I mean, weird little things, like I went to a private school and every boy was allowed a bottle of cordial. And I didn't have one because I was flying from Sweden to go to school. And I would sometimes say, literally to my closest friends, I would say, could I have a tiny bit of your cordial tonight? And the reply I remember was, it's got to last me. In other words, they had to have cordial every single night and all i was asking was for one bit of cordial one night but that phrase just it's got to last me like i've got to be completely comfortable all the time for the whole of my life while other people haven't got things i mean my experience are nothing you know nothing compared to so many people in this country who have such hard lives and living with such rough poverty but Little things in life, and then the big thing, you know, when I went to Ethiopia and the Sudan uh, after Live Aid, that seems to be in my bones. But it's extraordinary because those bones wouldn't have responded, or they might not have responded, had you not been exposed to what you were exposed to as a child. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what hits us. You know, why do some works of art move you unbelievably profoundly and others don't? It's a relationship between the experience you have and who you are in the first place as to what rings your bells. Tell me about the impact of watching Live Aid and the trip to Ethiopia that followed. Yeah, I mean, it was all very casual. I remember Live Aid was a very sunny day. One friend of ours, he gave 500 quid because he like had a checkbook or something we never paid him back i felt guilty about that then i met a wonderful woman called jane tewson who was being i knew her who ran a charity and was asked to go to the sudan because she was running a homeless Mm. charity and they thought she was very sort of advanced in the way she was asking for money and making people share things and i literally just said to her at dinner do you want me to come along keep you company again that instinct a tiny bit calling out 
And then we had a hilarious meeting at Save the Children and Oxfam where they said, look, it's a bit of a waste. You two both go to the same country. So I didn't get to go with Jane. She went to Sudan. I went all on my own with no purpose or intention. You know, I didn't know why I was there to Ethiopia. And I saw such terrible things, such suffering, such sort of certainty of death. And I, I kind of branded me with the feeling of the simultaneity of suffering. Every day I go through my life knowing that while you and I are having this lovely chat, there are people who are choosing between food for their kids and medicine for their kids. There are women in terror because their husbands are going to hurt them. You know, I can't get rid of that sense mm. that other people's lives are very different. And so I got back and, and then the long story of comic relief began. Comic relief itself was a, a, a gateway to people to become more actively involved through entertainment, which was a fabulous combine. The idea that you could raise money for areas that needed it yeah. by having a good laugh was absolutely amazing. Do you often meet people who were inspired by that to fundraise, to campaign? Well, that's one of the great things about life. You don't know, just like my mum didn't... What you did. Yeah, my mum didn't know when she cancelled Christmas that I was going to spend half my life trying to fulfil her hopes. And there's this brilliant thing called Giving Tuesday. I don't know if you know about yeah, that, do, where yeah. people can raise money for anything. I wrote a letter to the founder of it, you know, a couple of years ago, Henry Timms, and said, I just can't believe it. They'd made over a billion for various causes. And he said, well, I'm only doing that because of Comet Relief. That was my starting point, you know, and Global Citizen, which is a huge campaign now, started because of Make Poverty History. So I think in life, all you can do is try and do things, you know, to make things happen, you have to make things. And then the outcome will be what the outcome will be. But you have to hope there are people. And then lots of comedians, you know, loved Comet Relief when they were young because they were badly behaved and it was the day they were, their bad behaviour was legitimised. You're known for your work addressing poverty. But climate is now included in the Comic Relief strategy and quite rightly because very often poverty, frankly, is directly yeah. linked to it. And so what has inspired this shift well it's been a real education i remember when we did live eight i remember the meeting when the person from greenpeace stormed out because we just said we're not going to include climate it was make poverty history debt trade aid we just say if we put climate in no one's gonna understand because climate seemed to be about forests and polar bears i was you know very unsophisticated and thought that i was probably you know doing my bit in development and extreme poverty and then I really paid attention to the Sustainable Development Goals and their sort of analysis that these things, that development and poverty, justice, climate, are all absolutely interlinked. And then it becomes clearer and clearer. The floods in Pakistan, you know, that's a climate issue and 10 million people are displaced. So it would be foolish not to say that the climate campaigning is exactly the same as the justice campaigning and uh, the poverty campaigning. It's challenge enough to be trying to deal with poverty, but trying to deal with climate, which after all we have very little immediate control of. Although, of course, we in the north are pumping away at the atmosphere with the way we live. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'd love to talk to you about this new campaign, you know, we're doing about the banks and their funding of fossil fuels, because it turns out, again, part of a slow reveal, turns out that you, me, and everybody listening to this podcast are co-conspirators, almost all of us, in fossil fuel expansion. I mean, it's like, reminds me a bit of, you know, all this recent stuff about responsibility for slavery you know everyone in england thought they were behaving very nicely when they were reading their jane austen novels but their you know economy was based on the slave trade now you know i've got money in my bank and that bank is putting my money into fossil fuel expansion you know so we're deeply involved in climate change and i i hate the idea that anyone would ever feel powerless because we can, as it were, vote for change. And when you say banks, all of them? Well... Some that are rather worse than yeah, others. Yeah, we know that some that are worse than others. I mean, I will just talk about this for a moment, because I am sort of excited by the idea. We've got a campaign called Make My Money Matter, which is, you know, about this revelation that your money can really make a difference. And it was inspired by me just listening to a TED talk by someone called Dr. Bronwyn King. I don't know whether you've mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. it, but, you know, she was a cancer doctor. She had a first meeting with her accountant when she was like 33, said, where's my money? Turned out that three of the six things she was most invested in were cigarette companies. <laughs> she was killing more people every day with her investments than she was saving with her life's work. What so incredible I suddenly story. thought, you know, where's, where is our money? And at the moment... The high street banks are investing billions and billions every year in fossil fuel companies. Not necessarily wrong. Many of them will be part of the transition to renewables, but also to fossil fuel companies that are expanding, that are building new wells and mines and everything. And that, everybody agrees, if we build new things, we will never reach our climate targets. So we've got a campaign called Don't Bank on This, and we're just saying, and I I think everyone should do it today. It's like voting. Go to the Make My Money Matter website, and you can just fill in your bank, if it's one of the high street banks, and just write to them and say, you are destroying the planet, and I'm not willing to be part of that. So where do they go that's clean? They go Well, no, no, no. I mean, at the moment, we're saying change your behavior. I mean, I think actually it's good banks. campaigning from the inside. Yeah. Two have made really good commitments in the last year. One is on the way. Three, not so good. And I think we need to find out information about what they are doing. And I hope that they'll move fast. They'll be pushed fast to change. And if they don't, we should change banks. How do listeners discover who they are? Is there somewhere where they can find out? Yeah, absolutely. Just go on the Make My Money Matter website and you'll find out who's doing what. And genuinely, you know, I do think of climate now as being like a kind of war that we're all in the middle of. Hmm. You know, and it really is a question of, Daddy, what did you do during the war? And it's not something that we can just leave to other people. And yet it's also not something where we're powerless. We're actually making decisions every single day, you know. So when you decide not to fly and when you decide not to, you know, have plastic containers, and when you decide, you know, all these private things, but the biggest thing you can do, 21 times more effective to change to a sustainable pension than it is to stop eating meat, stop flying, and change uh, your energy supplier. Our money is funding 
the destruction of our planet, of our forests, the expanding of new things. And all I'm asking today is that people just go to this website and vote for peace, as it were, in the climate war. And let's have the website once again. It is Make My Money Matter. Make My Money Matter. You know, I'm a real optimist, John, because I have found the experience of comic relief is if you open a door mm -hmm. to doing what seems to be the right thing, millions of people charge through it. Actually, you know, we've all got unbelievably busy lives, all got tremendous complications in our families and everything like that. But if you try and make things easy, so in this case, as it were, we've written the letter you send to your bank, then people do have the strength and the good purposes to say, I don't want 10 million people displaced in Pakistan. I don't want California burning to bits. I don't want mass migration because of poverty caused by climate change. The UN's global goals for climate, you've described them as a to-do list for the world. Yeah and compared them to the Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah. Do you think the general public understand that? I don't know. I mean, the, the Sustainable Development Goals are a very brilliant piece of work. You know, they were issued in 2015, and the Millennium Development Goals, which is, as it were, what we were fighting for in Live 8, they were particularly about addressing extreme poverty and development. These goals say that in order to change the world, we've got to change our country, we've got to help change other countries, and that all these things, climate, justice, race, gender, these things are all linked with each other. And I think their biggest success has been, in some countries, they're incredibly effective and part of government policy, and the UK is moving in that direction a little bit. But business has been very interesting with regard to them because you know, business has a sort of longer future view than many politicians. You know, they actually make plans for the next 10 years, whereas a lot of politicians make plans for the next election. And businesses are juxtaposing their behaviors and saying, how are we doing? What's happening with our supply chains? What's happening with how we pick our stuff? What's happening with how we get our raw materials? All of these things. And actually, the Sustainable Development Goals have been an extremely useful organizational method to try and get businesses, which will, in the end, be unbelievably important in solving the problems of the world. But when you mention business, I think of banking. Yeah. And banking isn't doing... Enough. No. Absolutely. But my dad's company, Unilever, is doing very well. And a lot of other companies are really focusing hard on these issues. When in 2005... But the core is the bank. I know. You've got to get the banks. You've got to get the pension funds. You've got to get the investment funds. But this is what's so interesting, John. I was a second-rate comedy writer who found that because I knew a lot of other people in comedy, we could organize... Comic, comic relief. relief. Well, here's the big surprise that these people who got jobs in banks, you know, and some of them will be listening now, they are the necessary heroes now. Turns out their job is to actually help change the world now. It's an extraordinary opportunity for people who decided to have a life in money to actually use that money, reapply, restructure the way that money works so that it works for the planet. But money is not a drug. against the planet. And you're asking them to turn around and become altogether more responsible and come up with a new device. Yeah. Tell you what, I've done a lot of work with pension. The world pension pot is 47 trillion. And that's our money 
and that's being invested. So we tried to see if we could do something about UK pension schemes. And I thought this is going to be adversarial and we're going to be locked out by everybody. But actually, turned out the pensions were finding out that the public actually did want to have sustainable ethical pensions, that people were increasingly saying, wait a minute, am I in guns? Am I in arms? Am I in pornography? Am I in gambling? Am I in fossil fuels? So that a situation where... But there's uh, no real way of finding out, is there? Well, except there is, because they make promises when you take out. So I've now got a sustainable pension that's doing just as well as my old pension used to do. And in the last few years, we've been part of a movement to move 1.3 trillion of the UK pension system into sustainable and ethical pension. So the people were on the cusp, but the system is sludgy and it's hard for them to change and trustees of big banks and big companies are only starting to realise that they're not only there for their shareholders, they're there for the stakeholders, which is everyone on the planet. That's why, you know, we're trying to change the pension system. And I think consumers are asking more and more. My daughter, when she goes shopping in the street, she checks on the supply chains of the companies that she's going to buy her clothes from. And also, one of the things we're finding is that people who are working for these companies care about these issues. Actually, younger people who are starting to get jobs think, do I just want to make money or do I want to make money and be with a company that's doing the right thing? So there is a kind of shift in consumers, a shift in employees, and a realization as climate becomes more catastrophic, as things become more unequal, as they have done in the UK, that every single person in society has a way of actually applying pressure to make things better. I don't want to be any kind of a, a naysayer, but you know, we're little minnows, and it's hard to persuade people that some change in your behaviour is going to make a difference. And people listening will say, so what can I do? And the answer is, spread the news that your money in banks is not, a, as it were, sleeping asset. That's the big revelation to me, that the money in my bank and the money in pensions is not just sitting there till I claim it. It's being invested by the banks every single day and being used. And therefore, it could be being used to do amazing things or it can be being used to do bad things. And the banks have not decisively decided that they're going to do the right thing. And every single person should say to their bank, unless you think climate change is a great idea and you want you know, floods, fires, and no hope for the younger generation, everybody should say to their bank, stop it now. And eventually the banks will thrive as a result because they will be investing in better, renewable, more ethical businesses. The banks in the last few weeks since we started this have received 8,000 letters from people saying, we want this change, stop this happening. And they must be starting to be afraid of the fact. Remember what happened with Barclays and apartheid, you know, in mm. our generation when they just became famous baddies. And I think they will think we are going to lose this commercially. But also, I've heard Mark Carney, who was the governor of the Bank of England, describe sustainability as the greatest investment opportunity since the Industrial Revolution. The companies that are going to thrive are the companies 
that are taking these things into account. And when I first started talking to people about money, they would say to me, yeah, it's a little bit, you know, money versus morals, value versus values. You know, you'll, you'll make less money by investing in renewables and good things. They don't say that anymore. You know, the why not moment has arrived. So I think it's eventually going to be radically good business. You know, most of our votes don't count, do they? I mean, you just got to think about the voting system. You know, you lose by 11,000 in whatever thing you're in. You think, well, did my vote matter? Well, I was in Kensington and Chelsea when the MP won by nine votes. So there is a tide and we have to be part of it. Well, you've encapsulated the campaign in a short film, The Hidden Relationship. Yes. Can you tell me what the message is and why you decided to tell it the way you have? Well, we were just trying to think about what the core of this issue is. And it is that we trust and invest our money in the banks, and they are having secret assignations with people we don't like. So we got in touch with the other, I would say the lesser, Jon Snow, um, the one from Game of Thrones with Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie. It looks like a couples therapy row, and she says, you never talk about me, you're ashamed of me, and he says, I've got to play the game, you know, of course you're the person I love most. And then we put up two great big graphics, and under Rose, it says oil company, and under Kit, it says high street bank. And you realize that what it's about is the fact that the high street banks don't talk about their massive investment in fossil fuels and fossil fuel expansion. And they talk endlessly about all the good things that they're doing, but we've caught them out by listening into their private conversation. It's a very fun little film. It only takes, you know, one minute, 40 seconds. I shall be watching. And they kiss at the end, because that's what's happening with the banks and fossil fuels at the moment. It's a megalithic problem. I mean, the banks are hugely influential. Yeah. They've got most governments by the short and curlies. Yeah. And you are talking about a revolution. Yeah, it is it is a shift. But I do think about the slave trade. I do think about every single argument that was said in those days that literally the economy cannot survive this change. The idea that somehow that we didn't know that our money was being invested all the time, our insurance money. But we didn't. Let's be candid. We We didn't. didn't. We didn't. But this is a really useful revelation. That's the great thing. You can realise things that make a lot of difference. Every generation learns new lessons, and the idea that we can make our money matter is really incredibly useful. We didn't know that a lot of the clothes that we wore were being produced by sweatshops with the very poorest people being paid nothing in unsafe conditions. We know that now. Suddenly there's pressure on companies to change those things. You know, this is one of the great advantages of the world of podcasts and media communication, that new messages can get out. Where do you get your incredible optimism from? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Beatles, John. (laughs) The Beatles, do you know what I mean? I mean, I do think that if I've had a very lucky life, And I feel as though it's my job, if I can, to be enthusiastic in the direction of justice. You're listening to Snowcast with me, Jon Snow, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. The activist Michaela Loach spoke to me about the importance of showing grace to people who are less informed about the climate crisis. Is it therefore essential to make your message simple and to welcome people to the conversation? Uh, absolutely. I mean, my, uh, you know, I've always been aware that Comet Relief in its three-minute films is simplifying huge problems. But it worked. Yeah. Talking, therefore, about needing both the finance and the originality that commerce has in selling its products. Exactly. It's to do to with marketing. sell this. Exactly. So can you imagine the torture it is for me when I see the trailers for my movies? You know, everything's in the wrong order. They're giving <laughs> away the plots. They're using shots that aren't even the film. And then the horror of the poster where you suddenly see all this work you've done summed up with one glib phrase and a picture of the people who are starring in it smiling too broadly. But there is a great and necessary purpose in marketing. And I think that the job of someone like me is to try and make things more accessible. One of the sustainable development goals, we shortened the titles, we created the graphics, we tried to make people understand that it's a to-do list for the planet. And I think that, you know, something like this film about the banks, of course it's complicated. Of course there has to be a transition. Of course the banks have responsibilities to their customers. But anybody with half a brain can see that climate change has to be fought and it has to be fought by the people with the most power and it has to be inspired by people like us with less power. Have you ever thought of the exhaust coming out of a bank given what it's up to? That's I mean, a very good one. Bank as polluting. Exactly. Bob, Bank a as a polluter. Right. But that's very strong. Yeah. The Daily Telegraph's not going to be running that ad. Well, you know, they might. Oddly <laughs> enough, we put a letter that we wrote to the CEOs of all these banks in the FT. It's all part of a very complicated process. But there has been an acceleration with three of the six big banks. But you see, I then think of my conventional life in the media. Yeah. And I think... Is the media ready for this? Are they going to be involved in this campaign by reporting it truthfully and giving it the priority it requires? Well, things do get covered. Our kids and younger people are getting their news through different methods. You know, more people, I hope, will watch our little film with the stars of Game of Thrones than will probably watch Channel 4 News tonight. Richard, when I saw that we were going to do a podcast with you, I thought, well, that'll be fun. Oh, yeah, no, let's have some fun. No, no, no. But what I mean is, it's such a huge challenge to get this off the ground. It's not off the ground yet. It's not as if people move past the bank and look through the windows and think, 
They're up to no good. But they could be up to so much good. That's the thing. You know, when when I moved my pension, suddenly I found out that I was investing in affordable housing in affordable healthcare, Hmm. in green cement, Hmm. you know, in reverse vending machines where you put rubbish in a vending machine and get a ticket out that actually buys you a voucher. There are so many great things out there, and the big success stories will be things like electric cars, Mm -hmm. huge changes, you know, where profit will be found. Hmm. And what you don't want is a bunch of banks that are locked into ancient relationships and not looking out for you, for the new opportunities in the new world. You said that in order to make things happen, you have to make things. And much of your creative energy is now focused on charity and campaign work. Do you regret having less time for more straightforward, entertaining projects? You were so good at it, are so good at it. You're so gifted. Can we deprive the human race of what you were doing? Well, um, I remember the shock when I saw Notting Hill and thought, oh, my God, it's exactly the same film as Four Weddings. <laughs> I'd worked so hard on it. I thought, oh, no, what happened? So I think I might have played my best set of cards, and I'm an enormous believer in the power and joy of entertainment. I mean, I just hmm. think you can't disrespect the joy, the texture of our lives that everyone from Morgan and Wise to... The Beatles and the Kinks, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing. But next to that is you cannot enjoy those things when you are living in fear or in terror or in pain. And we're trying to reach a situation where there's enough justice. And I remember when I went to Ethiopia, there were these, one of the places we stopped, there were three corrugated iron huts. And I said, what are they? And the nurse with me said, and the one on the right, I think the people will survive. On the one in the middle, it's 50-50, and the one on the left, they're all too sick now to live. I went to the one in the middle, and a little child was being weighed in, tiny child, in a sort of blue floating plastic diaper. So they put the baby in it and then weighed them. And one little baby was so slight that it slipped through the left leg and fell. And... Everybody who saw it laughed because they were still normal people who just thought there's a funny thing that's happened. And I thought nobody wants to be or is part of a tragedy. Everybody's allowed to laugh. People keep the capacity for laughter, but we're just trying to make sure that you don't have a world which is so unfair that we can't enjoy the things that, I did in the other half of my life, even though I know lots of people hate the things I did in the other half of my life. Peaked at Blackadder, apparently. Peaked at Blackadder. (laughs) But you haven't peaked yet. You're still going for another mountain. Well, yeah, look, I try and keep busy. And the world changes and you see new opportunities. I never thought I'd be involved in climate, never thought that I'd be involved in money, never thought I'd be involved in the UN. But... You know, your sense of where you can be effective. Mm. And in my case, it's slightly in this marketing Mm. thing. But couldn't you be highly effective by making a brilliant film about all this? Well, I did, um, not saying it's brilliant, I did make a film about G7 negotiations called The Girl in the Cafe with Bill Nye and Kelly MacDonald. But at the moment, there are lots of young people 
doing actually lots of very interesting and exciting climate things. And one of the reasons I'm not sure I'll ever write another film is because I like other people's films more than mine <laughs> now, and it takes two hours to watch a Lucas Moodison movie, whereas it takes me two years to write one of my own and then I watch it. I think it's not as good as, you know, the worst woman in the world. Uh, so I think that... Um, my time is probably better spent at the moment. You must be working very long days to fit in everything. Do you ever feel overwhelmed or think, maybe I should reduce my commitments? At the very age in which you should be perhaps thinking, what am I going to do next? Well, I have enormous commitment to watching television, John. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. We're talking tonight, and it's episode four of Succession. And I've just found this brilliant new Australian sitcom called Colin from Accounts. Okay, so you can which relax. I, but... So I relax by watching yeah. telly. And listening to pop music. But you have got a few other obligations. And I've got a few other obligations. But, you know, the thing is, you do have amazing partners. You know, Comic Relief is run by a great mm. bunch of people. This campaign is run by a great bunch of people. So what I'm trying to do is be useful where I can be particularly useful. I happen to know Kit Harrington, so I can write to him. It's harder for someone in the office to do that thing, as it were. So I think that what I'm trying to do is be particular with how I spend my time. But my time doesn't matter. Well, John, you know, if I'm if I'm a bit But actually it does matter because no, but what I mean is that if I'm finding life a little bit hard sometime because of the mm. commitments, that doesn't matter. There are so many profoundly I've had such a good deal that me not feeling a bit worried couldn't be less important. But this is the biggest enterprise to educate the world into recognizing this infernal link between our essential need in a bank and our essential need in energy and the fact that they are in a conspiracy together. This is your story. Yeah. And someone listening to this will think, well, how about that? And they'll think, I tell you what, I'm going to make a documentary about this. I'm going to create a fuss about this. I'm going to campaign. I'm going to start a boycott. You know, what you do is just set flames and hope that they catch fire in the hearts and minds of other people. And there is, you know, a great tradition of one set of people inspiring another set of people. I wouldn't have been part of Comrade Relief if it hadn't been for Live Aid. I wouldn't have been part of Comrade Relief if it weren't for the Secret Policeman's Ball. Uh, you know, all of these things are a historical thing. And, and the younger generation is facing a whole new set of problems, and they're going to solve them excitingly and in their own way. Many of them aren't banking with high street banks any longer. Thank God. Let's think about how you view things right now. Are you still an optimist? Definitely. But, I mean, what does an optimist mean? Uh, an optimist means, a, in my case, a person who thinks that when you do what you think is the right thing to help other people, that it can be effective and, and then my whole life is a proof of that all the hundreds of projects that comic relief has supported i've actually seen them i've seen their work it's extraordinary so the idea that if you try and do the right thing good things happen that's what optimism isn't about sitting back kindly and saying i think things are going to work out well here optimism is an active choice every day in your life to do things in a hopeful manner and actually, I think you'll find if you do that, the evidence comes back your way that it worked. You know, the thing is, John, all, 
all my life, I've always thought that the things that I was doing, whereas it were going to leap up the whole staircase, and then you find out you've worked for years and you've gone up two steps and then you go back a step and then you go up another two. And I see enough signs of change to be optimistic and not think that we're wasting our time. You know, you have an American president who's doing many good things in this area. You have a young generation who are very inspired. You have a lot of new businesses that are acting ethically and morally. You have, I remember talking to the head of a huge company the other day and was talking about the sustainable development goals, climate. He said it will never, ever get in the boardroom. Three years later, I said to him, how are we doing now? And he said, yeah, it's in the boardroom. They're talking about it now. They're worried about all this. So I think there's enough sign of change. If you focus on the bad, you'll do nothing. I used to say, cynics nose day never made a penny. Red nose day made a lot. So if we focus on the actions we can take today and on the people who are doing the right thing and support them with our money, then things will change. Many listeners will want me to ask. It's the 40th anniversary of Blackadder this year. Tony Robinson has just teased that everybody likes an anniversary. <laughs> Do you like an anniversary? <laughs> I think enough to mark this one creatively? Oh, you know, Tony did a lovely um, bedtime story for Comic Relief this year. I think there are some Blackadder stamps coming out. Me and Tony and Rowan were in the same room. I I don't know. I think it's unlikely. It was. It's. I think it's very unlikely that there'll be more. That there'll be more Blackadder. But are you leaving yourself space still to be creative, as well as being political and planet saving? Yeah, actually, the next thing I'm thinking of doing, John, is something where I'm actually going to, I hope, be working with a lot of people. So in a slightly more producerial manner in order to be enjoy the new youth, new diversity, different stories that everyone in the world has to tell. I think maybe that's a, a good thing for me to be an encourager, for me to be, I've never been a statesman, but but to, you know, enjoy the brilliance of other people, the activism of other people, the creativity of other people. But you've got to marshal as much as you can to bring an understanding of an infernal coalition. Well, I really love the fact that you have been, you probably know more about these issues than me and more passionate about the fact that our money is being often misused behind our back in a secret relationship. And I hope that everyone listening will think, well, I'll do something about that today. Richard Curtis, it's been an honour to talk with you and I've really learned a lot. Thank you very much indeed. I, I hope you prevail. Uh, and uh, what I think I might do is start a podcast, Dickcast maybe can be called, and um, you'll be my first guest on it because I so admire the work that you've done rooting out justice truth reporting on the way that things actually are steady 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 we've all no, no, put no. we've all put our no, shoulders to the wheel out, we no no <laughs> we've all put our shoulders to the wheel and you're putting it to the wheel in the most necessary form okay pens and papers as they say john will you give them the web address for people to yes. sign on to but thank you very much that was brilliant that was richard curtis though the term can be overused He's someone I would call a national, perhaps even global, treasure. 
to watch his film, The Hidden Relationship, just head to makemymoneymatter.co.uk slash open letter, where you'll find information, campaign research, and can contact the big five UK high street banks and ask them to stop financing fossil fuel expansion in two clicks. As always, you can find links in the episode description. And if you have found this subject interesting, do check out an earlier episode featuring the brilliant young climate activist, Michaela Loach. I'm John Snow, and I'd like to say thank you for listening to Snowcast. To catch the next episode, please follow this podcast on your platform of choice. And I hope to meet you again back here very soon. Goodbye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.